Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, this is Simon Brew. I'm the editor of Film Stories magazine, and a very warm welcome to a very special episode of the Film Stories podcast. Come with me. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. In movies, movies that had stories. And the story just sucks them in. This is just the beginning. Stories. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello and a very warm welcome to Film Stories with Simon Brew. I am Simon Brew, as always, that's absolutely everything you need to know about me. The aim of the podcast? Well, that's keeping away in the title. I'm here to talk up the stories of films and I tend to talk about development stories, production stories, marketing stories, release stories, all those ingredients really that go towards making the films that we know and sometimes love. Just that, the films that we know and sometimes love. The films I tend to cover on this podcast lean more towards the mainstream than anything else. They're films I'm interested in or invested in to some degree. I try not to do snark. I try not to punch down. This podcast is a celebration of cinema and a real appreciation of just how hard it is to get a film made. That said, this is one of my occasional special episodes of Film Stories where I bring in a filmmaker to talk about their body of work or their latest release. You get a little bit of both in this particular episode because I'm delighted to be joined by the director of films such as House Party, Boomerang, Marshall and Amazon Prime's new Christmas release, Candy Cane Lane. It's Reginald Hudlin. Now, what you're going to hear is a conversation that took place a week or two ago that was set up by me having to sit in a waiting room where Christmas music was being pumped into my ears non-stop for half an hour. Candy Cane Lane is Amazon Prime's big Christmas movie starring Eddie Murphy and so we talk quite a lot about that. There are one or two other things touched on as well. I talk about his uh, Reginald Hudlin's website and the Hudlin 100. That comes up at the start. It is eventually explained so just bear with that. Also Siskel and Ebert, if you're unfamiliar, very popular American film review show starring Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, both much missed American film critics. But I think that's all you need to know going into this. I'm going to set it up with a clip from the trailer, very Christmassy clip, from Candy Cane Lane. I'll come to my conversation with Reginald Hudlin, the other side of this. Everybody listen, this is important. I'm going to show you guys something. And when I show you what I'm going to show you, don't freak out. I can explain. It's magic. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. High stakes as neighbors compete for best decorated house on the block. I think this is the house to beat. It's wow. What's your Christmas wish? I just want to win this thing. I'll take it. Signature, please. Ignore all the fine print. It's like you're signing your life away. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Oh, it will be. <laughs> so that was a clip from Candy Cane Lane, which is harder to say than I originally thought. I'm delighted to be joined for this podcast special by its director, Reginald Hudlin. Hello, Reginald Hudlin. How are you? Very good. How are you doing, Simon? 
I'm all right. Thank you very much. I, I, I do have to ask what I was just asking you before. You, I, audio does this no favours, but you, you are sat in front of a very festive looking setup. Um, yes. Is this actually real? Is this, are, are we in your house? Have you put your decorations up already? Uh, you're not in my house, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it is as real as anything else in the film. Can I? <laughs> okay, I get it. Um, can I, I, I mean, I, well, I don't want to spoil the film, but I get it. Yeah. So, can, I, I mean, can I can I begin by saying thank you, really? Because I, I'd written oh. an awful lot of questions for you. And then I just thought at the last minute, I'll check your website and, and just see. And I'd realised you've done all the work for me. It's all there. Everything is there. It's a really incredible resource. And oh, I mean, I. I, I did want to acknowledge this because one of the one of the reasons I do this podcast is to make filmmaking reachable. And so, you know, if if, if people talk about what they do, especially now we don't have DVD extras and things like that anymore, um, I, I think it can inspire people. You've put so much there. Um, I wanted to tell you my favourite things I learned from the various Hudlin 100s uh, just mm. before I get to the film. Um, you are the only person I've ever met who thinks Men in Black 2 is better than Men in Black 1 which I think was hidden down in your 2014 list. <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you. And <clears throat> I, I, I was re-watching a lot of movies with my kids, you know, yeah. as they got old enough to watch certain things. So, you know, you, of course you watch Men in Black, but then you watch Men in Black 2, right? And yeah. you see a lot of things. You see the growth of Will Smith as an actor and him more confident, more really him being himself. Um, and I don't know the who let the dogs out joke. It's, it's just, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's shamelessly hilarious to me. Uh, so yeah, I, I had a great time. Men in black too. I, I swear by it. You, you are, you are the only person I met, but now that the, the word is being spread, you, you are, you are the, you are the preacher of men in black too. I'm starting I'm the movement. <laughs> well, the other thing that I didn't appreciate was you screened Marshall at Martha's Vineyard and you talked about you, you just wrote about that. And it's just like a, a sentence or two on your website about it's the first time in your career you've screened a film for over 900 people. And clearly I, I'm coming to Candy Cane Lane in a minute, but I just I just <laughs> found all of this. So you've completely sideswiped me. But clearly, I mean, in a sentence there, you've put something that's almost a, 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 a really cherished life memory. I just wonder if you can just like ju just describe that for us. Well, it was a very intense moment uh, because for me, making a movie about the life of Thurgood Marshall was a lifetime dream, one that yeah. I never thought would happen. Yeah. So uh, when someone brought me this script, it was a fantastic script and we got the uh, every movie studio turned us down we got financing from china and we made the movie we made the movie independently and then we're showing it and it was a packed house and after the movie as i walked up on stage the applause was so explosive i felt it like a physical force and I, I, I got a little weepy. I, I, I actually yeah. got verklempt because it was such a powerful emotional moment that all those things came together in that moment. 
It sounded incredible. I should explain to listeners that Hodlin 100 is something you've got on your website where you do lists every year. You can tell which years you're busier than others because there are some lists, there's some years you didn't do a list. There's some years you did lots of lists. Your top 10 sex related events list lasted one year. I've noticed before you moved on one year. Um, but why, why can I just ask, why do you do it? Why do you put all of that out? Because I think I know why you do it, but I'd love to hear it in your words. Well, I started because when I started my career, I don't know, whatever I thought my career was going to be like, it was very different. And yeah. I make a lot of things. I do a lot of things. And quite yeah. frankly, uh, I have a hard time keeping track of everything. And yes. then when the internet exploded, I would look on the internet and there'd be all this erroneous information. I'm like, well, I didn't make that. And wait, you didn't mention that. So I said, well, I should probably have my own website where here's all the facts. Here's what I've made. Here's what I didn't make. And then I just start thinking, well, what else can I put in there? Well, you know, what are things that people ask me? Like, oh, some of my favorite movies or favorite films. And there's a thing I do with my family where I do a top 10 list every year. And like, yeah. what were the top 10 moments of your year? Yeah. And um, it's a really interesting question because you may go, oh man, last year was terrible. Then I say, but what was your top 10 list? And suddenly you realize you had 10 great moments that year and that year yeah. wasn't as bad as you thought it was. So it just comes out of just experiments. I mean, it's interesting you say about the, the falsehoods put out there. I mean, I, 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 one of the interesting things I found about your story, I decided to do a word count on your Wikipedia page, for instance. I, I'm a bit nerdy. Um, mm -hmm. And, I, and you know, a lot of the time when you research, you start with Wikipedia and there's lots of links out there. And that's where you find like the really meaty, more interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. But it tends to be a quite cursory page. You talk about all the things you've done. Yours comes to 2,600 words. Um, not all of them truthful by the looks of it, but then you, you've amplified that as well. And I just wonder about the about the importance of your story being out there, because I can imagine. I mean, I, I'm just a middle aged, boring nerd from from the West Midlands in the UK. But I'm reading this and I'm thinking I want to pick, pick up a camera. Is that kind of also like the side effect of what you're looking to do? Well, look, I, I think whether you're a journalist like yourself, here's all the information in one place that's yeah. actually accurate. Well, you've saved me a job. I mean, this is easy. This is the easiest interview ever. <laughs> well, you know, and that's the crazy thing about Wikipedia. I mean, we all love Wikipedia, but one of the odd things about it is that if you're the person, you can't add information. Yeah. They go, no, 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 we don't trust you as a source, but it's me. Uh, yeah. So it's 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 an odd thing. So I said, well, let me just have a thing that is in my control that has a lot of information. Uh, yeah. You know, I have an uncle that did a lot of family history. So I said, yeah. let's put some family history information on the site. So I just add things. It's it's you know it's an odd you know uh, site, but people when it's they amazing. go visit it, people tend to enjoy it. So I'm glad you did. Well, your cousin Chris sounds amazing. I read your eulogy to him. That that was really something. I love you. Keep his name burning. Um, but you lost me completely when you put in a line that you don't blame Spielberg for Jaws 3D. Uh, Jaws 3D is a masterpiece. Uh, one of the most fun times I've ever had in a cinema. So, I mean, that's it now. We're burned. Um, well, so, see, there we have it. Men in Black 2, Jaws 3D. 
we no, no, each my Jaws have our 3, own my Jaws 3D beats your men. <laughs> my Jaws 3D beats your men in black too. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I loved about when Candy Cane Lane was was announced, I mean, a lot of you you tend from my side of the fence to get a press release which has got all, all the all the happy stuff in it. <laughs> I read it and I just thought this man really wants to make a Christmas film. I mean, you're putting in details like something like an, a nine-hour Christmas uh, playlist of music, which I felt like I've been listening to, just waiting to talk to you here while they've kept me waiting. Um, but also, one of the things that struck me is that this has turned out, because I wasn't expecting quite as, I'm going to spoil a light, quite as com- complex a film as I was going to get in the mm-hmm. end. And I looked at the date of that press release, and that's July 2022, and we're here now in November 2023. Mm-hmm. And that feels like not very long to do what you did. And I wonder if you can take us into that a little bit. Yes. Uh, it, it's funny. Um, when I w- first worked with Eddie Murphy, which was 30 years ago, right, yeah. uh, I got a call from the studio and they said, we have a script, you know, we all want you to make the movie, but we've got to release it on this date. And, you know, we don't have any time. You just got to get going right away. Right. Yeah. Um, so cut to 30 years later. I meet with the studio. They say, we have a script. We have a deadline. We have to have this out by Christmas. And we just got to get to work it, it right away. So the exact same circumstances. Um, but yeah, it was a really fast process. We started yeah. principal photography, you know, at the beginning of the year. And this is a movie with a little under a thousand special effects shots, 60 yeah. music cues. It is a huge movie that we made in the time it takes to make a baby. And we got it done in nine months. One thing that struck me watching it is, and and I I put this across as a positive, it's also got the look of a film from someone who really wants to make a Christmas film, but fears they'll never be able to make another Christmas film. Um, that that you've really kind of, I mean, you've really gone for it on it. You, I mean, you commit to something and you've absolutely gone. Was that conscious in your head that you wanted it to be that, that you really wanted to lean in heavily? I think every movie should be made like it's the last movie you ever Yeah, made. love it, love it. Because you know what? It could be. <laughs> so you're like, yeah. so it's time, you know, you got to put the kitchen sink and the Christmas tree and the sleigh and every, just, you know, thing is, Christmas movies have become a sort of subgenre in itself, which is yeah. wonderful, right? Uh, but there's a lot of repetition. There's a lot of Christmas movies about a girl from a small town. She leaves the big city. She sees her old high school boyfriend. He works in a Christmas tree lot. He's got a red sweater. She's got a green sweater, and they fall in love. Uh, and then there's a, an unbelievable number of remakes of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. So. I said, let's not make those two movies. Let's do something that you've never seen before. Let's have a Christmas movie with jump scares. Let's have a Christmas movie yes. with, with car chases and kung fu fighting. That's my idea of a Christmas movie. I mean, uh, the it, yours and I think Hallmark have got one that gives you a run for their for for your money this year because they've got a Christmas movie set in an aquarium. Um, but I think you still, I mean, that that's about the only thing you don't do here. I mean, it's just like you, you've missed, you've missed the trick. It's also, I know. Challenge first, accepted. Uh. Well, excellent. <laughs> I look forward to the sequel. I can't wait. Um, but you, I mean, you talk again, you're, you're saying just a simple sentence there, a thousand visual effects shots or something like that. And for me, someone at the end of it, it was just like, oh, a thousand visual effects shots. 
But for you, presumably, that means if you're shooting the film starting in January, you're not even seeing completed shots till what, about the autumn or something like that. You can't get a full handle on it. Yeah, yeah. No, we were, <laughs> I mean, we <laughs> just finished the movie. Like, we just finished the movie. Um, but it was so much fun. The great thing about making a Christmas movie is that everyone's really happy to be there. The actors yeah. are glad to be there. The crew's glad to be there. They're like, oh my God, this is just fun and positive and my whole family can see what I'm doing at work. Uh, uh, so uh, the working with Industrial Light and Magic, the special effects company, they had so much fun. And that kind of enthusiasm, it comes across on screen because yeah. everyone's just having a great time every day. And so who were, I, I mean, it's a question that doesn't get asked an awful lot, especially when there's lots of visual effects in a film. But what about the prep side of it? What about the before? Who were the heroes of your prep if you're trying oh. to get this off the ground very, very quickly? And, and you know, if there are any names you want to put in, I, I just, I just love. Yeah, sure. Every, literally everybody, every department. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, this is one of those pressure test situations where yeah. every member of the crew has to be spectacular. Um, my cinematographer, Tom Siegel, he's a brilliant guy, done all the X-Men movies, yeah. incredible body of work. We worked together on the Marshall movie. I said, okay, you know, we've done a beautiful, you know, small jewel of a movie. Let's do a big honking crazy pants movie together. <laughs> and he was like, I'm in. Um, my production design, Aaron Osborne, brilliant guy. We had never worked together before. But once we met, I was like, oh my God, we have the same shared craziness. And we just fed off each other, you know, just kind of like who can come up with the bigger, crazier idea. So we had so much fun together. Uh, my AD, um, JD, the AD, and yeah. who had to wrangle all this mess. My line producer, Doug Merrifield, I could just go on and on. Truly, yeah. everybody delivered uh, above and beyond. And it's, extraordinary work the effects department I, again I, I i can do you know there's a reason why the credits are that long because yeah. it took an army and boy did they head over to hulu this march where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long catch the award-winning movie poor things starring emma stone mark ruffalo and willem dafoe check out the new documentary freaknik the wildest party never told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Deliver. And how, I mean, how fragile is a film like this as well? Because, again, the time presumably uh, puts the levels of stress on a production that 
I mean, presumably you're on the verge of breaking at various points. Did you feel close to that or was it a case of you, you got this where you want it to be? Well, it, you know, doing a heavy effects movie is always a challenge. But yeah. when you have the amount of improvisation that you have as well. Uh, yes. You know, we we built that in because, my look, you don't have a cast like this. You don't have Eddie well, Murphy, uh, you know, Tracy Ellis Ross, Chris, uh, you Chris Red, Robin Thede, Nick Offerman. I, look, I don't want them to be stuck and just say the lines. I want them to let their comedic imaginations run wild. So we had to end up designing a new technical system we called a Rudolph system. So that even though all the effects weren't there. Of course there, it was called that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there'd be a light that would light up so the, the, the actors would know where their eye line should be when di different actors were talking. So, uh, yeah, we, we had to be really creative uh, to have the kind of creative freedom that the actors deserved at the same time be able to actually execute this movie particularly on the type time uh, uh, timelines that we had so yeah there were some uh some highly stressed days but honestly i always knew that we would make it i didn't always yeah. know how we would make it but i always knew that we would make it and my role is stay calm you'll be fine that's my next question. What What is your demeanor on a set when you've got so many people? Because I think this is, I, I mean, just in terms of people and making a film, is this your biggest, uh, yes. your biggest scale movie production? And I, I yeah, just want no. your, your, your level of responsibility feels quite a lot. It's terrifying. I'm glad you had to do it and not me. <laughs> well, yeah, it's big. But again, if you've got the right people, you go, yeah. hey, I've got a great army around me. Look at all my generals. Look at all my soldiers. I've got th this great team and we're all rowing the boat in the same direction. That's the main thing. You know, mm. I, look, we do storyboards, you know, I'll act the whole movie out. You know, there's a <laughs> lot of work to maintain communication. And yeah. the thing is when you have an idea for a movie, it's a pilot light, right? And yeah. the key is you've got to protect that pilot light. You know, you it, it, you can get it blown away. You can get it snuffed out. You can have someone turn it into something else. You go, no, no, no. This is the core idea. Now, I want every department to be as creative and imaginative as possible. Here's my idea. If you can top my idea, great. But you've got to stay on track. We've got to keep yeah. going in the same direction. And that's kind of my job. And that actually gives everyone comfort because everyone's working really hard the you know the 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 deadlines are tight but if there's if there's a sense of like well reggie knows what he's doing he he's he he's he's not freaking out so yeah. i'm not going to freak out so that just creates uh, an environment where people feel comfortable being creative and working hard so when you're giving your thousand answers a day, uh, which I imagine is what a movie set is, you, you, at the very least, you just look like you're confident in the answers, even if inside your head, you're just like, oh, we'll see how that works out. Yeah, I mean, you're, you know, you give an answer, yeah. you're working on alternatives. Okay, what if that yeah. falls apart? What if that doesn't work? So you're constantly trying to figure out what your options are. Am I cornered? Is this do or die? What's the circumstances? But you can't convey that anxiety to the crew because that drives everybody crazy. And, you know, you want to, you're making a comedy. You want a fun work environment. So yeah. I, I try to maintain that uh, first and foremost. 
I mean, you used the word cornered there. That's I, I mean, one of the um, I, I read the story. I know you've talked about it a lot in interviews about how on House Party um, you, you the dance off came together um, very, very quickly. And then you had to move the cameras and shoot something else on that particular day. Mm-hmm. And, and now you look at that sequence and just a how entertaining it is, but b what that means to people as well. Just just and and how it's endured. I just wonder if I if I'd have bought some really expensive time machine and found the version of you on that set and showed you what you would be doing mm-hmm. and what you would be wrangling thirty years later, would you be able to wrap your head around that? Is that or is this kind of what you were the kind of film you always wanted to make? Yeah, this was always the goal. I mean, I was very, I was, I was always inspired by George Lucas's career, you know, you know, to go from American graffiti, which is a classic. Yeah. And then take the leap to star Wars. Wow. So I said, well, okay. If if house party is my American graffiti, then, you know, eventually I'll, I'll make my version of star Wars. So, you know, this is the, 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 my first steps toward, doing things on a, on a really big scale. Because I didn't appreciate either until I, I double checked, but this is your first fictional feature film for what, two decades? I, got, I, I don't, I, everything else seems to have been based on a real story or a documentary. Oh, oh, wow. I hadn't actually thought about it that way, but you may very well be right. Cause Marsh was a true story. Safety yeah, yeah. was a true story yeah. and a bunch of documentaries. Wow. Ah. So that wasn't conscious in your head. It was just like, this, this is, the, the lights lit up. This is what I want to make. You weren't. Well, here's the thing. I kind of like doing different things. You yeah. know, again. I, I completely uh, get that. I, 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 you know, like, it's, it's, it's bad for business. <laughs> I'll admit that <laughs> up front. <laughs> You're much better off taking the Alfred Hitchcock approach. You go, I am the master of suspense, right? Everyone, oh, another Hitchcock movie. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. But for me, you know, uh, I was inspired by, you know, filmmakers that would make His Girl Friday, then make Red River. You go, wait, but that's a great comedy. That's a great Western. You made both. Yes. You know, or Norman Jewison, you know, who would do In the Heat of the Night, then Jesus Christ Superstar, then Rollerball, you know? So it's, it's, it's again, tougher career wise uh, because they go, well, who are you? What's your thing? I don't quite get it. But as a creative person, you're rotating your crops and that's really replenishing. You just go, Oh, I tried this. I tried that. And the key is every time you try something new, you're terrified. And that fear is the key to success. You just go, well, I could fail here. Don't relax, stay focused because you know, this could not work. So it's fun to keep switching up and, you know, to keep pushing yourself to, to a new level. The kind of thinking that fear is the destroyer of complacency, that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I love that. I mean, what I I should, one, just just one segue slightly. One of the articles I found on your website actually was mm-hmm. um, an interview you that was in Film Comment because I'm kind of curious what how our profession interviews filmmakers like you. And you, and, you know, you you say there about you've done lots of things and it's bad for business. And then from our side, it's just like oh, there is someone who makes thrillers easy. 
file there's someone who makes it the fact that you do like comics that you do documentaries that you do tv just just is is mind-bending to some people i think but there's a bit in there as well where i mean the film comment interview is almost asking the same questions of you that mm -hmm. i'd imagine you get asked an awful lot today and it's almost like the curiosity towards filmmakers doesn't feel like it's evolved enough and i, I just wonder if you've got a view on that that's interesting. Look, at, at this point, I'm just glad there is film criticism. I'm glad there yeah. are, are people like yourself because uh, there was a time, obviously, where film critics were a really important part of the ecology of, of film as an art form. And yeah. I feel like social media, which is great in a lot of ways, has kind of diminished that and they kind of more focus on the aggregate and rotten tomatoes. And I'm like, well, yeah. can we just move? Okay, thumbs up, thumbs down was cute, but it was accompanied by uh, a, 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 an essay and, and thoughtfulness. And yeah. I, I feel like, um, I think there, this is an interesting moment in film history, right? Where... Yeah the two biggest movies of the summer were Barbie and Oppenheimer, right? Which were yeah. two kind of unicorn movies. And hopefully with that will come a renewed interest in talking about movies uh, in a more thorough way. Yeah. Right. And not just, you know, is it good or is it bad? Well, how about what is it? And, yeah. you know, I hope that encourages movies that are worthy of that level of analysis and discussion. One of the things in the film comment piece as well, and and, and I mean, we talk about how, how film has moved on a little bit. I, mm. I, I just wonder if you can clarify this one. It, it, it talks about, it talk, that piece talks about the success of Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It, mm -hmm. and what that opened up in 1986. Mm -hmm. And then the year, I think it was 1990, when there were five commercial films from black filmmakers for the first time that, mm -hmm. were, that were pulling in the dollars. And Hollywood's reaction to that, it's implied in this, in this article, was they went through the phone book looking for black filmmakers. And there's a story in there that someone from Hollywood looked you up in the phone book and rang you up. Is that true? <laughs> I don't know if that's... I don't always That's an incredible story. Yeah, I'm not I mean, trying to there, test you. I just like that uh, print the yeah, legend, no, right? There was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of things. I mean, there was definitely uh um no question that she's gotta have it knocked on a lot of knocked open a lot of doors. And there was kind of like, yeah. well, who's out there? And you know, and Spike was very generous and you know, go, well, you know, you should call Reggie, you know, and and that's how I you know got opportunities. You know, there was definitely a of like, well. <laughs> There, there maybe there's probably more than one um and look i mean it's great that we are now beyond that and now we have sort yeah. of multiple generations of black filmmakers and you know i you know the the billion six that black panther made was another one of those big milestones yeah. that you know really moved uh black film uh to another level so you know, the breakthroughs keep happening. And when you look at black film history, it turns to go in kind of 20 year cycles of like black exploitation movement in, this, in the seventies. Yeah. And then the explosion of 
you know, uh, Black Hollywood with, you know, Eddie Murphy and Prince and that. And, uh, and now this current era. So I keep hoping that we can break the, the kind of cyclical thing and really become part of the permanent um, fabric of, of the Hollywood landscape. I, I'm nearly out of time. And I want to acknowledge the fact that you've put so much positivity into this film in a very cynical time. You have put out a hugely bright, positive and, and uplifting film. Can you just try and encapsulate what this means to you to to have realised someone who go back to that press release, who's got this nine hour playlist, which sounds absolutely terrifying. And now we're, we're sat talking about one of the biggest Christmas films of the season and you've made it couple of things one is we're going to be releasing my playlist to the public along with oh lord oh good sorry (laughs) (laughs) so you'll you'll get to hear uh a lot of christmas music much of which you may have never heard before uh number one number two yeah i mean i mean to me you know uh i'm going to refer to uh it's a wonderful life one of the all-time great christmas movies right um, it's a movie, it's a classic Frank Copper film, right? Like, yeah. uh, here are really good people who get put in tough circumstances and their innate goodness, along with a little bit of magic, makes something wonderful happen. And I think that's why that movie has stood the test of time. And, you know, right now we're in a very scary moment in society and a lot of yeah. people are very, very scared and for very good reasons. And I knew when we made this movie, I said, wow, this is the movie we need right now. Uh, Cause people need to be renewed in their faith and love and their faith of, of, of family uh, and each other. And I thought, wow, well, this is all here in the movie. It's not a stretch to put all this in. So, if we can say that, I feel like this would be the antidote for where we are as a culture. Reginald Hudlin, it's been a delight speaking to you. I truly hope that Santa Claus brings you a DVD of Jaws 3D and a family pack of 3D glasses. Congratulations on your movie and take care. Thank you. <laughs> take care. Thank you so much, Simon. <laughs> Thank you. And that was my conversation with the brilliant Reginald Hudlin. Candy Cane Lane is available on Prime Video from December the 1st, 2023. And that brings this particular episode of Film Stories to an end. If I've not bored you completely, you can find more from me on Twitter at Simon Brew. You can find more from the entire Film Stories project at Film Stories. We're at facebook.com slash filmstoriesonline, youtube.com slash filmstories. You can find us at filmstories.co.uk and at store.filmstories.co.uk is where you will find all of our magazines our print magazines and our blu-rays for sale as well but that's the end of this special episode i will now go off i will watch more films i will research more films and i will be back soon with your regular episode of film stories until then you all look after yourselves you all take care and bye-bye